Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. Uh, so for those of you that may not know me, I'm, I'm JJ and I'm one of the pastors here and I do get to oversee missions and it's an honor, it's a privilege uh, to be able to do so and, and it's, it's neat because it's just, it's neat to be part of a missions minded church, right? And a generous church and that's what you're a part of. And I would say just for missions in general, it's, it's cool because we just had a team get back from Watts, but doing mission trips right now because of the circumstances are, it's interesting. And so there's some things on the table with some other countries and who knows, right? Who knows how the Lord's going to lead and, but you know, we want to, we want to step through those as we go. So you can pray for the church. You can pray for us as, as things are coming up, you know, for those doors to be open for us to, to do it, you know, to get out there on these trips and to serve our missionaries in the field. And I do get to share the word with you tonight, and I'm excited about it. I, 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 it's, it's, um, Pastor Ed called me on Monday, and so I've had a couple days of preparation, but just it's always cool how the Lord works, because the Lord already had something in my heart. And, and it's just been neat to see that come together, because even in our times of, of prayer for missionaries on Sunday nights, uh, one specific minis- uh, missionary would, you know, at times would keep bringing up this same prayer point, which is in Ephesians chapter 1, which is where we're going to be. And we're going to be looking at Paul's prayer. And so if you have your Bible, uh, iPad, phone, whatever it may be, ever how you uh, go through the Bible, Ephesians 1 is where we're going to be. And then also, uh, as a family, we've taken on doing an Advent devotional. And so we've been doing that, you know, leading up to Christ's coming. And the theme in that devotional is hope, joy, and peace. And so I've already been really meditating on this word hope. And, and, and hope that's outside of our circumstances. Uh, and here I am. You know, I get to be blessed by these scriptures that we're going to be in, as the Lord would have it. And to set the context a little bit, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1, and specifically looking at verses 15 through 23. And Paul is praying. He has a prayer for the saints. And as we look at this together, we're going to see and look at what's the purpose of prayer for this new family? What's the purpose and prayer for the church that was coming together then, and it's who we are now? It's, we're going to get to see the kind of things that we should pray for each other. And we're going to see that Paul's prayer is really a prayer for this new life, a life that looks out at the landscape of our culture and says, my allegiance my trust is in King Jesus. And the powers, the values, the worldview of my culture no longer has any power over me. And we'll see that this isn't just an individual thing, but it also becomes a reality of our community. And where we say Jesus is our King here, and here, and here, Jesus is our King wherever we are as ambassadors of Christ. And these individual choices, these individual lives that create these communities here and there, we get to say, 
in Jesus. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. And this prayer, this reality has this power to inside of these communities to generate lives that make a big impact on our world. We're going to get to handle some words together and we're going to get to cast these words in a biblical light. We're going to get to handle our view towards prayer and kind of reflect on that maybe a lot of our prayer is crisis management and to see what it is to pray beyond our circumstances. We're going to see how Jesus is the combination of the Old Testament and how this new family, the church, gets tied in to the chosen people. And finally, we're going to look at dominion and see how we remain with Christ and in Christ while we're in this world. So this section of scripture, it's super rich. We only have four, you know, maybe like 45 minutes to go over it. But what I want to do is I want to give you three scenarios to just kind of play in the back of your mind as we start going through this together so that we get this feel on what it is to be the church and what it is to fulfill on Paul's prayer in our own lives. The first scenario I want to give you is Brushko. Brushko was a 19-year-old who walks into the Colombian jungle all on his own, doesn't know the language, doesn't know the landscape, doesn't know the culture, but he had a call on his life from God. And he goes in and he lives with the Motolone Indians. And as he's living with them, the tribe ultimately accepts Christ. They begin to evangelize the other tribes, which are no-contact tribes, by the way, and the Modalon tribe that he went in to serve and to be with, they were known to have killed people. On the fringes of their land were big oil companies that are there, and these guys, these tribes would kill these oil companies, the men from these oil companies. This is what he was walking into, and he had a call on his life to do that. And this entire tribe comes to the Lord. And they began to evangelize. And what's awesome, because he was young and because he's following this call, he got to see in his lifetime the unfolding of his ministry. And so these people, the Modalon tribe would come out of their tribe, go to medical school, go to law school, come back to their tribe and serve in the jungle to where they ultimately regained the rights of their land and all of this through a young teenager, Rushko. Another scenario. This is a father-son duo. Bodelschwing. You speak German, so hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. So Bodelschwing, there was a father-son duo, and they started the Bethel Foundation in Germany. And they started it right in the midst of the Nazi Reich. And they were serving disabled people. And most of us know that in Germany at this time, the Nazis were killing millions of Jews but a lesser known fact is that they were also killing disabled people. And why? Because the worldview was a worldview of purity of race. And disabled people didn't fit into that. But even with the Nazis knocking on their door, we want your disabled people. The Bodelschwings were able to say, no, your worldview has no power over me. You cannot have our disabled people because this is how we do it here. Scenario number three. How about you? As we're going through this together, how about you? How many of you, for instance, have opened up your home to those in need, whatever the need may be? And the person you serve, they're in your house, they're around you, and they look at your house as a sanctuary. 
where you get to serve them and listen to them. There's coffee, there's food, there's godly conversation, and perhaps even a warm bed. And when they're with you, they know they're in a safe place. They know they have stepped into a space where it's been said, this is how we do it here. Let's pray. Father God, as we jump into these verses together, Lord, I... I'm humbled, Lord. And I'm grateful for who you are, Father, and just how you, how you're, you're just living and you're present in our lives. And, and Lord, even with what I've shared so far, Lord, just that we not disconnect from it, that we, not, that we look and we, we, we take these scenarios and as we look at them, we just see what's possible in you, just how you can move in lives beyond what we can think or imagine. And just as we're discovering the truths of your scripture, may they be ours and may we do them. In your name we pray. All right, so pick up with me. Again, we're in Ephesians 1, and we're going to pick up in verse 15, and it starts with a therefore. So before we start reading together, we have to address the therefore. Right there in 15, therefore I also, and anytime we bump into that in the Bible, immediately we've got to say, hold on, this is connecting to things that go before it. And this therefore connection is all about this prayer that we're going to look at with Paul. This prayer, he's praying that all of the things that he's just gone over through verses 1 through 14, that these promises are actually in our lives, that we're living them out in our lives. And so you can just listen as I give you these, and maybe for homework tonight, when you go home, just read verses 1 through 14. Look at those promises. Appropriate those promises. Pray for those promises in your life. And so what are they? Uh, we see that, we're, uh, that He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, that He chose us before the foundation of the world, that we're adopted as sons and daughters. We are accepted in the Beloved. We have redemption through His blood and forgiveness of sins. He's led us in on His plan, understanding the mystery of His will. And at the right time, all things are gathered together as one in Christ, that we've trusted in Him after hearing the word of truth, that, he is sealed with the whole, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and that we have a guaranteed inheritance. All right. So those promises now, Paul is going to take as we read together, verses 15 through 23, is now what is it for those things to be in our life? In 15, he says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. So going back to verse 15, Paul 
He's hearing some things. He's hearing some things, and what is he hearing? He's this, this, this church of Ephesus, this very church where he had helped plant churches. He's writing from prison, and he's hearing about their faith, and he's hearing about their love. And we need to know that the faith that's talked about here, it's a faith that's more than what's in your head. It's what's in your heart, and it's how you live it. And biblical faith is that allegiance and loyalty to literally who you're grabbing onto for dear life, like your life depends on it. And to place your faith in the Lord Jesus is about recognizing that He's truly Lord and that your allegiance and devotion is directed towards nothing else but Him as the risen King. So He hears about their faith. And what else does He hear about? Their love. And in our culture, we get love wrong. Because in our culture... Love is primarily an emotion. And being an emotion, it's something that kind of happens to us. So, I met my soulmate, or I fall in love. Well, if you can fall in love, you can also fall out of love. And the powers that be in our culture is such that, sure, you can fall out of love and you can even fall out of marriage, and it's no big deal. No big deal. But the love of the Bible is not an emotion. It's a commitment to action. It's a commitment to act for the well-being of another person ahead of my own well-being. And it's this love that marks us as followers of Jesus. It's us living out that love. It's us appropriating that love in our life. So Paul is hearing about this faith. He's hearing about the, this love, about their allegiance and trust in the Lord Jesus. They're caring for one another. And about all the stuff they're doing. You know, I imagine I'm kind of like a dad, just like, wow, they're doing it. They're getting it, right? I mean, those of us that have kids, I mean, what, what more pleasure do we have when we've been trying to, to get something through to our kiddos, and then all of a sudden they're just living it and they're doing it. It's a precious time. So there's Paul sitting in prison, getting this news. And in verse 16, it says he can't stop giving thanks for them. He's just so thankful. He's just, man, I can't stop thanking the God for you, and I can't stop praying for you. I'm constantly praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. And we get a neat insight into prayer here. And the neat insight is this. This prayer here is not about crisis management. It's not about things going bad. Things are awesome. Things are going great. And because they're going great, that's why Paul can't stop praying. So are prayers needed in bad times? Absolutely. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying for crisis management. Right? Always pray. Are we to pray in great times? Yes. And Paul prays that those already growing Christians would continue to mature and grow. But his prayer is not a prayer for circumstances. And what I mean by that is this, if we reflect on our prayer life, and I, and, and I have, and, and I've been like, wow, okay, man, I really do pray a lot for circumstances. I pray for, like, and what that looks like in my life is, is I pray for provision. For myself, I get to pray for provision for other people. Maybe it's a sickness, right? I get to pray for a sickness. So it's these specific things, and it's usually when things are bad, and I, we're praying for those cir certain circumstances. But Paul doesn't pray for circumstances, it's not what we see here. What does he pray for? So in verses 17, getting into 18 a little bit, here's what he prays. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So this knowledge, this understanding, He prays for this spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And of who? Jesus. So that whatever circumstance is in our lives, whatever circumstance was in their life, that what it would do is provide an opportunity to draw closer to Jesus in relationship and that through the circumstances, they would know Him better. He's praying that God would give them, give us this new quality of insight in our relationship with Jesus and be able to understand the current life circumstances and to find God in our circumstances. And whatever the circumstance, that His presence would what? Enlighten. Enlighten something inside of us so we know more of Him and we know more of His character. And His Spirit always speaks to, speaks to us of His personal presence. But circumstances can be very tough. And they can be very trying. But whatever circumstance you're in, you've got to know that it has nothing to do with God abandoning you. And we go there sometimes in our hearts, don't we? Like, man, why me? Why this? Oh, God, where are you? Why now? And you've got to know it's not about God abandoning you. But rather, the circumstance is an opportunity to see that Jesus is right there with you. Why? Again, so you can understand His grace. You can understand His presence deeper than you ever have before. And this is how we can pray for each other. And for me, this is wonderful because I don't get to like, that's what's cool about the church, right? Some of us get to hang out in tight-knit groups and I I have no idea what some of you, what circumstances you have. So I may not be able to, to pray for those specific circumstances, but I can pray this. I can pray for the, His spirit of wisdom and revelation and your knowledge of Him that you understand it and that you're not just stuck in the circumstances, but that you're drawing closer to Him. And that's a precious thing. And so this enlightenment understanding is, in some translations, not here in the uh, New King James, but right after this enlightened is a semicolon, and then some translations will say, in order that, so that you can. So like, hey, I'm praying for this understanding and this wisdom for you, and in this spiritual wisdom that you're gaining a deeper understanding of Jesus in every aspect of your life, in order that. In order that what? In order that you know, one, the hope of His calling. Two, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints of His holy people. Number three, the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. So let's look at hope. The first one, hope. Hope, for us as Christians, this is our posture in life. We're to walk through this life with hope. And we sing in Hebrew tonight. And unfortunately, I don't think in this lifetime I'm ever going to get to be fluent in Hebrew. I would love to. I would love to be able to be fluent in Hebrew. But because I like languages and all that, and I know that I'll never learn Hebrew, I like to kind of study a little bit and just figure out, like, what's the essence of the language? If I were able to speak Hebrew, how might I think? Like, what would the world look like to me? And Hebrew has this essence to it. It's kind of like, that's the future, and my back is facing that way, and I'm walking into the future like this. And the whole time that I'm walking into the future, I'm remembering 
what God has done in my life. Right? So now these circumstances, I'm just kind of backing into them the whole time remembering what God has done in my life. So that's our posture. Our present circumstances, and you got to hear this, your present circumstance does not give you your meaning of life. That is not it. Your meaning of life isn't your circumstance. Your, your life may not be so good, but you're believing in a God who brings life out of death, who came among us personally. We're singing Silent Night. I was so moved by those hymns. You know, just like, oh yes, he, you did come. You were born as a baby and you came among us. Why? To ultimately live and die and bear the result of our sin and stupidity on the cross. You absorbed it all right there just for us. And now in faith as followers, guess what we get to do? Ah, yeah, we get to grab on to him. We get to grab on to Jesus. And we say what? Here. Here. And there. And when you're there, you get to say, here. King Jesus. And we have this hope for the future and a hope in our present because we remember We remember who God is and what He has done. Not getting lost in the current circumstance, but looking to the hope which He has called us. That's hope, guys. Number two. Number two is riches of His glorious inheritance of His holy people. Okay, what's that? This is super cool. This is super cool because this is a place where Paul is taking Old Testament ideas and language and bringing it right into the New Testament and giving us this this look-see as far as how we're chosen and we're now grafted in to the holy people. And I want to reference Deuteronomy 7-6 here. Uh, And he's pulling this right out. And and we get a a, a sense of it in in Deuteronomy 7-6 where he says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. So here were the Israelites, here were the Jews, chosen and elected. They were a co- there was a covenant with the people. Why? So that they could be his witnesses. It wasn't, it wasn't just about them and like, hey, we've got God and, you know, like, nanny nanny boo boo. It's like, no, we've got God and we're going to live this out in history and we're going to give him to others as they see God play out in our history and who we are. And then we get grafted into that. This covenant family now that through, through, through the Jews, this covenant family has come to fulfillment in who? In Jesus the Messiah, as their Messiah uh, in Christ. The one on the behalf of the many. So it's his glorious inheritance. And that's what's key kind of in looking at verse 18. It's the glory of his inheritance, not our inheritance. Our inheritance is like eternal life, hanging out with Him forever, like the riches of heaven. It's His. We're His inheritance as a holy people. And as His glorious inheritance, it is us, it is you as His people, as God's own special treasured people. You know, and there's this element, and it's like, I feel very subdued right now because I just want to kind of yell that. I want to be like, that we wake up to the privilege and calling of this. And I'm speaking to myself in that. Like, wake up. This is it, man. We've got it. We're here. And then this connects to the power, which is number three, this exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. But before we look at the power, the biblical power that Paul is talking about, you need to think for a moment just what power is in your own mind, in your own heart. 
You know, like, what has is, what is culture taught you about power? For the most part, it's that it's never used well, right? What does is, what is, what is power beget? More power, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's our, that's our perspective towards power. You know, or it could be like, oh, you know, that guy, man, he really gets things done. Or, hey, don't cross him. He's a powerful guy. But that's not, that's not how the Bible refers to power. And sometimes we can even be suspicious, suspicious of it. But this power is a power that's illustrating and showing us that we're not left on our own. He's the resource of the power. And the words used here to describe this power is only found in the New Testament. And so just for a moment, I want to peek at the Greek with you, okay? At times, it's great to peek at the Greek because it's like, whoa! And even to know, like, man, this is the only, this is the only place this is, this is used. And, and the words that he uses here for this power is megethos hyperbolon, right? Mega. Hyperbole. You know, it's like, so there's this mega, there's this hyperbole. It's only used right here, and it's to communicate in his limited language because he's just trying to get it across, is this power is more than enough. And it's like Paul is literally like stretching at the seams trying to explain this unimaginable power to us in the language that he has. And this power, this mighty power is the same power that spoke the universe into existence. It's that same power that raised Jesus from the dead and ultimately placed all things under Jesus' feet. And back in verse 20, and it's this same power which... He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So Paul is qualifying this power for us. It's a specific kind of power that's available to us Christians if we appropriate it and we see it and we live it in our life. And I want to speak to this just for a second. This is really above my pay grade, but it's just something that I'm noticing in the scriptures. Primarily the word that's used for power in the Bible is dynamis, which is where we get our word dynamite, dynamo, right? And so like the power of the spirit comes upon them in Acts. And because of that power that's now indwelling, they can now go and do, they can now actually fulfill the commission that's been given to them. That same power you as believers has given to you but also associated with that dynamite. There's this, other, there's this other aspect of dynamis. It's potential. There's potential for you. But are you going to appropriate it? Are you going to live in that power? Are we going to operate in all that the Lord is giving us to do? Ponder that. But the power here that I'm talking about is reserved for God and it's more than enough. And it's that same power that transformed Jesus's death to life. And then he speaks here of this present age and then this also this age to come. And in other areas of the Bible, when Paul talks about the present age, he's talking about the world. The world right now. The world that was created and that was good, but got sidetracked. That's the present age. And we're still living in that present age. But then he also talks about the age to come. And we've gotten a piece of that because we're on this side of the cross. And because we're on this side of the cross, there's now this, this crashing together of like, whoa, present age, there's still more to come. And, and what is that? It's like, my goodness, here's a, a, a world that's been created for good. We got sidetracked and along comes Jesus. 
And Jesus lives in the good world without sin, not giving in to impulse, and he lives the life that we were all intended to live. And then he dies, and with that resurrection power, giving us the helper, says, hey, now it's yours. And until we meet again, I will not partake of the wine, but we will feast together. And that's what we've got, guys. So it's this contrast of this age and the age to come. And we see the resurrection. So this resurrection, it's Jesus in the midst of our broken world, and we're getting to see, no kidding, what the power of God is all about. And it's not a power to do whatever God wants to do. Again, that's, that's, that's not the kind of power we're talking about. It's the kind of power that gives up status, gives up authority to absorb and take the hit on behalf of others and to allow, and Jesus did it on the cross, and to allow our sins to literally crush him. That's the power we're talking about. It's a love so strong that in this love, it reverses death to life. It's the power to take the most tragic, selfish human being you and me, and to transform us in someone who can be life-giving in Him. And it's a complete power in every way. It's a power that's more than enough. It's more than enough literally. It's more than enough spiritually. And it's more than enough metaphorically. It's more than enough. And death doesn't get the last word for us, guys. Doesn't get the last word. Because God has the power to change us even when we're leaving this trail of broken relationships. So it's a, here's a question. Do you have a hope where circumstances do not get to determine the meaning of your life? And especially as a new believer. You come to the Lord as a new believer, and you're excited. And you, it's just like, my goodness, I've had this experience with my very creator, and I am pumped. But it takes a little while for everybody in your world to get the update. They know your past. They're observing. They're seeing, right? It takes a little while for them to get that. So meanwhile, again, we can't look at our current circumstances and allow that to be the meaning of our life. What if you're a new believer and you're still dealing with addiction? What if you're a new believer and it's just like, my goodness, man, now that I'm a believer, I've got to go talk to my wife and let her know like what I've done in my past. Is she going to leave me? Can you hand it over to the Lord and do what you need to do? Bankruptcy? the bad news from the doctor. So it's us having this faith to take on the idea, the truth that God can reverse it all. His healing, His transformation. And inside of Paul's prayer, we gather in hope and we pray. We pray for this very thing. Now in this section of Scripture, we see also that the physical world is not the whole story. It just isn't. Things are not what they seem. And as believers, like, sometimes in the beginning, it, it's, it's a little tricky. Like, whoa. And then we mature in it and we get to see it. But I want to point out some things in terms of dominion. And you've just got to know that there are other dominions. There are other outside influences. And these first two verses in chapter 2 of Ephesians, and you can just listen. Paul says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Hmm, what's going on here? These verses show us that there is a spirit that influences humans. 
that influences humanity and that it exploits our sinfulness, it exploits our selfishness, and loves to make things worse. That's just the reality. And, and what ends up happening is we're doing what we should not do. Maybe lashing out. It's like, man, why did I do that? But the beautiful thing about these scriptures, whether you're a believer or a non-believer, it's capturing an experience for you because we all in our bones know what evil's about. We know when something's not right. And it's common to all, but as believers, we do get an inside view. He does let us in on the mysteries of his will. And Paul spoke to this. So Paul is a believer, and this is just me paraphrasing. In Romans, he's like, he's like man, I don't do what I should, and I do what I sh- shouldn't right? It's like, man, I, 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 I'm really doing the things I shouldn't be doing, and I'm not doing the things that I really should be doing. So that's Paul as a believer. And now we have the great theologians, Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park and their song, Crawling. They're capturing this. And I'm going to give you some verses of the song. It says, there's something inside me that pulls beneath the surface, consuming, confusing. This lack of self-control, I fear, is never-ending. Controlling, I can't seem to find myself again. My walls are closing in, confusing what is real. Discomfort endlessly has pulled itself upon me, distracting, reacting. Against my will, I stand beside my own reflection. It's haunting how I can't seem to find myself again. My walls are closing in. Whoa. So we experience evil no matter what. And there is an outside influence. There are other principalities and powers that influence and exploit our weaknesses and our frailties. Maybe on the radio here, later on, maybe you're checking out a little bit. Maybe you've listened to this point, you're checking out a little bit because it's getting a little weird talking about other dominions. But I want to share this with you. Maybe you're a person that comes from a science background or whatever. You're a materialist. You're all of those things. And you're like, hey, man, if I can touch it, if I can smell it, if I can taste it, if I can hear it, if I can feel it, then that's real. Physics is in the mix of string theory. And they are working out mathematics, proving and showing that there are multiple dimensions. And then it's just interesting of note. And what did Einstein have to say about mathematics? He says, oh, it's the language of God. So whether they believe or not, these dimensions are being worked out. They're real. And these, we have these in our lives. And to illustrate that one, one step further, I just want to read to you Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. And he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Why? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul's like, here you go, guys. Here's the heads up. And I'm not saying that everything's due to the uh, devil under the bush, right? But we must be aware of the schemes of of these ancient powers and just know that sometimes it's an outside influence. And to also know that sometimes we're just being stupid. So stop it. Just stop it. And this influence is not only over just individuals. Remember, individuals make up communities, but it's over in whole societies. 
You know, we can just think about a couple things uh, uh, in history and even now. Like, whose idea was it in the 60s that free love was good? Did they consider the future of broken marriages and kids without parents? Whose idea was that? The CDC, when it was formed in 1946, there were two STDs. Now there's 27. Whose idea was that? What about today? You know, and this is sad for me, but I can't have a normal conversation with my black brothers that I grew up with in Georgia because we're bombarded with this idea of intersectionality and that somehow our opinions are ranked on, ranked on color, on gender, and sexual orientation, and we miss the truth, and we miss out on relationship. Whose idea? What about the social media platform, that, these platforms that know us, our patterns, better than we know ourselves? This time period where information is moving so rapidly that there's no norms that can even keep up with it to keep it from being used maliciously. Who is responsible for this? Nobody and everybody. And so we have this whole culture of people that are acting so irrationally and there are these forces at work exploiting us to ruin ourselves and ultimately to think that it's a good idea. It's the way that evil works on us. A whole culture ruining itself and calling it good. And the Bible speaks to this. I wanted to harp on that because I want that to land. I, I want us to just really like, wow, these dominions, right? There are dominions, there are principalities. But there's good news. Uh, I got permission. I didn't know if I would share this or not. It looks like I have time to share it. And I want to... I, I Nell it even further with these, with these dominions. I'm not, I'm not one to read books about heaven and people's experiences of heaven. But I am, I do have friends and when someone shares a testimony with me and you know how you're in the moment with a friend and they're sharing a testimony and it's just got God all over it. And I asked him if I could share this potentially and he said yes, so here we go. Uh, he, his dad, his, his dad is dead. His dad has gone on to be with the Lord and uh, he, was out of, he was out of country, and he didn't know that he was going to make it. But his dad had seen everyone that he needed to see, but he was still asking for his, this last son to show up. And he was able to show up. He was able to show up at 3 o'clock in the morning. They were able to have an interaction. And then at 6 o'clock in the morning, his dad passed on. And the way his dad passed on, my friend just couldn't get this out of his head. He couldn't get out of his head and his heart of just like, man, just how his dad was having to breathe and all of those things. And he, he, just, he just wanted this last hug. He wanted this last hug, but he didn't get it. So he finds himself on his knees in prayer before he goes to bed. And he says, Lord, I don't even know if I can pray these kind of things, but would you do me a favor and just give my dad a hug for me? So he goes to bed peacefully and he has a dream. And in this dream, his dad shows up from him about 10 feet away from him. And when he sees him, his dad, who was a craftsman of craftsmen, whose dying hands he held in his hand, was now made new. And his dad was standing before him, and he never heard a word from his dad. And he's looking at him. And then he looks back, and as he looks back, there's this gathering of people on this hillside. 
And this gathering of people start to gather around these picnic tables. And all in the midst of those picnic tables is just this light. Not a super bright light, but this emanating light. And they're all gathered around it. He's just observing. And then he sees the trees. And when he sees the trees, all the trees are covered in lights. And it's almost like the lights are alive. And he's observing all of this. And then he turns back around and these two bald, beautiful black men come walking past him. And as they're walking past him, they say, do what you came here to do. And then all of a sudden he looks again and his dad's right in front of his face. Doesn't say a word. And he gets to embrace him. And as I'm listening to my brother tell this to me, I'm like, man, God, you are so good. Now, this is a personal story for him, but now I'm sharing it with you, right? And I'm so edified by that. And I'm so edified, like, guys, we have a heavenly hope. And that's the good news. And to know that Christ is far above all these powers. He's far above all of these principalities. And in his resurrection and in the exaltation of Jesus, he becomes king of everything. And I don't want us to miss this. He becomes king of everything over all things to the church. To the church, back in verse 22. The church is the community of people living as if Jesus is truly the king. King of our life, king of our home, king of Aurora, king of Colorado, king of you fill in the blanks. But not everyone recognizes this because we're in the world. And so now, just like Bodelsfing, just like Brushko, just like you opening up your home, we get to live it and we get to say right here, right here. With Jesus as King, this is how we do it. By the empowerment of the Spirit to allow the Spirit to create in our personal lives and in our communities this hope, this inheritance, and this power. Amen? So if the worship team would come back up. And, and for anyone here, if you don't know what I'm talking about, like come up after service, find me, find anyone that's on the prayer team, one of the pastors, and talk, right? Talk, because this is real. And Jesus came to this earth, just as we sang tonight, he came as a baby. Of all things that he could come as, he came as a baby. He lived life here on planet earth. He died and he rose again. And the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, he offers to you. And it's not the worldly power. And as we already talked about, it's that power that like gave up authority, was born in that manger as a baby to take on your sin, to take on our sin. I just want to encourage you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, come up for prayer. All right, love you guys. Thank you. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.